morning, everyone. Hey, the Lord brought to my mind a declaration that uh, we've used in the past. A uh, real simple thing, but it's, it's a truth that we need to remember every day, and it starts with this. This is a great day. Do you remember that? Okay, so uh, those of you that remember, let's say it together, and then we'll say it again a second time for those that might need to um, review. All right, re ready? This is a great day. God is doing... All right, how about if I start it, and then you can, you can come in after I do it, okay? I'll, I'll say each phrase, and you repeat them after me, all right? This is a great day. God's doing great things in me and through me today. This is a day of victory and breakthrough. Okay, good job. Awesome. I don't know how your Saturday was. My Saturday was spent, much of the time was spent looking for my cell phone. <laughs> Friday night, I recognized that my cell phone wasn't with me, so I got up my iPad and it told me that it was here at the church. So I just thought, well, I'll go in and get it tomorrow morning. It's obviously, it's just sitting on my desk. Of course, where else would I leave it? And I came in uh, Saturday morning to uh, look for it, and I searched the whole building. Could not find it. I, you know, I have my iPad out. There's a little dot that tells you where it is, and, and the dot's moving, and I'd come right to the place <laughs> that the dot was right in the center, and there's just nothing there. And so then Tyler Brown and Alex Stevens uh, both in, uh, Alex is in the band, Tyler's our sound guy and uh, former worship leader. They, they spent, I don't know how, half hour, 45 minutes looking for it with me, searching everything. I went down into the storage room where I had been looking for something uh, the day before and searched boxes and stuff that I might have dropped it into. And finally, finally, on my last search, I walked past a closet downstairs that I had checked some stuff out in the day before, and I had totally forgotten that, and that's where it was. So thankfully, my cell phone reappeared. Well, phase two of the cell phone saga. <laughs> I take it home with me, and I'm, in the I'm at my desk, and I'm uh, reading and preparing for the message and thinking, and I thought, I, I need my cell phone, and I look for it. Where's my cell phone? I know I had it right here just a moment ago, which I hadn't. But I just thought I did. So Lori and I spent an hour looking for my cell phone at home. <laughs> I had a, you know, I knew the battery was charged. And so I had, you know, the, I hit that button where it said, you know, ringer. And so I, I know what the ringer sounds like, but we it couldn't hear it anywhere in the house. And I end up just inadvertently walking through the kitchen. One last time, I'm going to push this button. And I did. And I heard a distant, distant ring. And here, I had left it in the back porch when I came home, because I had to open the door, and I had my arms full, and I put it down. But uh, Lori and I have agreed that in the future, if, if I'm going to be allowed to have a cell phone, I, from now on, I just have to wear it around my neck like this, so. Ah. That's almost painful. I was wondering, is there something wrong with me? My mother's 94 and she's losing her memory. Am I doing the same thing at 72? You know, I hope not. Well, uh, God's good. And this is a great day. And I titled the message today, Looking Back to Launch Ahead. Because, uh, you know, looking back can be good or bad. You know that. There are some bad aspects of looking back, like the, the uh, Hebrews in the desert, they looked back at Egypt and said, oh, we had it so good there, Moses, you brought us out here to die. They forgot the, all the bad stuff. All they remembered was, you know, they're looking at today, and they're saying they're discouraged about something today, and that one thing seemed to them in their, in their rose, looking through their rose-colored glasses like it was better before. And so looking back, because I have something I'm complaining about or hurting about today, looking back to compare to some point in time when I didn't think I was hurting like that, is not a good thing. That, that'll just lock you up inside. It leads to bitterness and resentment and, and discouragement, and, and you never get to move ahead that way. Another thing we have a tendency to do is to look to the past when we have been offended by the past, by someone or something in the past. 
You know, something has happened that has impacted us. And, and when someone asks you how you're doing, you say, well, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I had this thing happen five years ago where I was betrayed. And, um, you know, I'm that, so that's what it is. And, and when we do that, we kind of like take on an identity with that wounding in our hearts. Now, looking to the past to understand wounding can be a good thing if you're doing it in the right way in order to forgive others and in order to get healing prayer to be healed of that wound that comes in, into our hearts. But if I'm finding my identity in wounding like that, that's not good. Now, good reasons to look to the past are, are to forgive, to get, you know, release pain and get healing is one. Another one is just to recognize God's goodness and be thankful you know, sometimes it's just to look back and to see, yeah, God, boy, look at your faithfulness there and there and there. Thank you, God. Just remind yourself of God's goodness. But I think it related to that, looking to the past uh, to see patterns of how God's worked in your life Amen. is really a good thing because it gives you strength then to be looking for, well, what's God doing today? And you begin to realize, well, here's, here's the pattern of God's work in my life. And it's often individual. I mean, there are a lot, a lot, of, lot of overlap in the way God works in our lives. But there are some unique parts to each one of our lives that we can look back and say, here's how God has worked in my life. I'm looking for him to do this as I move ahead in life. And that way, you're looking to the past in order to be thankful and, and honor God, but also to think of how do I move ahead into the future. Now, Lori and I are, are in a season of change right now. Uh, if you haven't been here recently, uh, we are in a, in a transition process where in October of this year, we're going to pass off the senior leadership to Luke Hazelmeyer. Luke will become the senior pastor of the church. And the, the, the more we've experienced this interim stage, the more I realize this is the right time for this. There's no question in my mind it's the right time. I mean, I can't even keep track of my cell phone anymore. So, I mean, you don't want a guy like that leading the church. No, I'm not that far gone. But uh, one of the things I've contemplated uh, as, as we thought through that, because it's a change, it's a big change. And, and honestly, we could continue going for a, a three, four more years. But what would happen in that process would be this, it would be going downhill. Because we're at a point where we are losing it, a little bit of energy. And, and so let's pass this thing off while it's still at a high level and another younger energetic leader can step in and go. But what I've realized for myself and for Lori is every time we've ever made a major change, we have always ended up in a really, really good spot. And there were times where I thought, well, ministry's over, you know. But then God just says, ha, you think so. And... No, here, here, th this thing. You walk, step into this, and it's better than what anything I did. Not that there could be anything better than being the pastor for all of you. I don't mean to apply that. But uh, th that was a result of me looking to the past to see God's pattern of work in our lives. And another thing we've seen is when we do step away from something, then God steps in and most of the time makes it better. And, and makes it better than it, than it could have been even if we had stayed. And so I look at those patterns, and I, it just gives me hope and strength and to launch into the future. And as we come to October, Lori and I are looking forward just to seeing everything God has uh, for the church as, as well as for us. And so I thought this would be a good time. We thought as on the senior leadership team it would be good to take a look back at the history of Vineyard Northwest for those especially who have not been here to, to experience all of it or to hear this story before. And I do want to say this, I, I put some little booklets out that we used on our 20th anniversary two years ago. Yeah, two years ago. And there, uh, you can grab one of these and look through that. That'll give you a more full picture than I can possibly do in the next half hour. But um, just regarding us, our history, Lori and I have been in ministry since 1979. Um, I, th this is our fifth church. And we've been here for the full life of the church the last 23 years now. And um, I attended a very conservative seminary where I learned a lot of good stuff. But I also was taught that the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the activity of the Spirit was really diminished today. And so I spent 15 years as what you would call a cessationist. 
And what that means is I believe that the gifts and activity of the Spirit had ceased. And so God then in 1993 laid a challenge down to me to rethink that. And I spent that whole year rethinking it. And at the end of the year, right before we entered 1994, I came to the conclusion that the, the Bible did not teach that the gifts of the Spirit had ended. And so that, for Lori and I, we both agreed, and that launched us into something totally new, not knowing what it would be, where it would be, or how it would be, but we knew that if the gifts of the Spirit were alive, we had to do whatever it took to find out what that meant. And so uh, we then uh, launched into the next phase of our lives and growth in leadership. We went to Champaign, Illinois, and spent uh, five years on a staff there, uh, uh, Central Illinois Vineyard, and uh, had a great time there growing spiritually and in the gifts and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, Lori and I, when we, were, when we came to the point that we knew it was time for us to launch out into our own, own, own leadership, senior leadership again, we reasoned this. We thought we wanted to be called to a city, not to a church. Because what normally happens in the whole pastoral realm is you shoot 100, 200 resumes out across the country, and whatever church that is the biggest, best church in the best part of a good city that pays you the most and has the, the, you know, the best potential, somehow God mysteriously calls you to that church. And um, we just thought, we just, we, I mean, we were old enough that we just didn't want to do that. We want to go someplace and plant ourselves there and be there for the rest of our lives. And so we both prayed, and um, I thought, well, Pittsburgh is the place we should go. <laughs> just kidding. If you know, I'm, I'm, I'm from north of Pittsburgh, a Steelers fan, sorry Bengals fans. Um, but we both, we both concluded that God was calling us to the city of Cincinnati, and, and we, so we wanted to come to Cincinnati even before we heard about the church that we eventually uh, came to. And so we came to a, a church other than this church that was in a big transition leadership-wise, and um, there was a lot, of, a lot of different issues in the church as far as dynamics and things, and they thought they wanted what we brought. And so, I mean, we were very, very clear. I was very clear about what I was going to do when I got there. But once I got there, it upset enough people that it, it kind of divided that church. And uh, after 18 months, I just said, well, this is, let's call this a false start, okay? You know, the, we thought the gun went off, but it didn't. And let's just part, our way, part ways. God called us to the city of Cincinnati, so we're not leaving here. We're going to plant a church. It'll be a vineyard. And uh, let's just part ways and bless each other. And um, in some respects, there, there was difficulty through that, but in other respects, it was really good. The elder board prayed for us the last Sunday we were there, knowing what we were going to do, blessed our future, which I think was really significant as far as um, you know, what happened here when we, when we started this church. They gave us nine months of severance pay and, um, uh, and nine months of insurance and, and really blessed us in that respect. And in January of 2001, I mean, we had survived Y2K. Is that what it was? Y Man, we we're just thankful for that. But then again, I thought, well, let's just take, if we can survive Y2K, we can plant a church. And so that, that was the year that we really set about the task of starting this church. And in probably late January, I went on a personal retreat, a three-day retreat. It was cold. I mean, it was cold enough that the lake was frozen, and one of the things I did on this retreat was ice fishing. So never done that before. It was a lot of fun. But on this retreat, I just spent a lot of time worshiping and praying and, and walking and thinking and conversing with God. And there were a couple things that God brought to me very clearly as, as a result of the retreat. And one of them was that we were not to develop a big and grandiose vision, but that uh, we were to just f form this church on some basic, simple, core principles that would develop into what God wants it to be. And by the way, by that time, Dave Workman had agreed to be our sending coach, or our sending pastor. And in the vineyard, you have to have a, a, a pastor in good standing um, recommend you and sponsor you to plant a church. And Steve Shogren uh, agreed to be our personal uh, 
church planting coach, which was an incredible, credible blessing. And God had given me this promise when we came to Cincinnati in Isaiah 37, 30. It says this, it says, the first year, eat what grows of the ground naturally. Second year, do the same. In the third year, plant your vineyards and eat their fruit. Now, when we came here, I thought that problem, that was a definite prophetic moment when God gave me that verse. And I thought that promise applied to the church we came here to pastor, that in the third year, we would see things really start to go. But in actual fact, it was in the third year that we planted this church. And so... Um, there's no question that the church has a foundation of prophetic activity and prophetic ministry and prophetic words. I can share more of them with you. But um, the three core values that God spoke to us were to be mercy-based. We were going to base this church on mercy. And what that was going <clears> to <throat> do was describe how we were going to relate to each other. Because I have been in churches where uh, there's a standard held up and then everyone pretends they're, they're living up to that standard. And if anybody doesn't live up to that standard, they are ostracized. And typically that starts with pastors. Because the pastors oftentimes are taught, as I was taught in seminary, you should never preach anything that you're not doing yourself. So that means if I preach a message on loving your wife as Christ loves the church, I can never tell that church that I had a fight with my wife because I'm not living up to what I preach. And so pastors then start to, start to kind of like hide things, but they still preach hard. And what that does is it creates a judgmental, critical spirit in the whole church body. And so as I contemplated that, and I said, God, boy, I don't want to produce that. I want to teach the Bible. God spoke to me and said this. He said, teach them who I am and what I'm calling them to. But tell them all I'm asking is for them to take the next step with me. And so it's like Jesus, I mean, this illustration is like this, don't make it. But let's say Jesus is up there by the ceiling and we're all down here an inch off the carpet. And we all feel like we need to close that gap in one huge moment. But what God was saying was, no, just take the next step that direction. Just the next step towards me. And what you find is you, spiritual growth happens. And so we've had this emphasis of, of trusting God to speak to people and, and then encouraging them to do whatever God tells you within the confines of Scripture and biblical truth. And, and what's the next step for you? Now, I've often said this. If you're robbing banks or sleeping with your neighbor's wife, then the next step is not cutting it down from four times a month to two. I can tell you the next step is stop it right now. <laughs> but typically in life, you know, as, as, as we grow, it's just one step at a time. And what that does is it gives us all humble hearts and, and, uh, and, and helps us to walk with real grace towards others. So that whole next step thing is really important. And one time I was teaching a membership class uh, several years ago, and a woman who had come from a background of more hard preaching uh, she said, well, you, why, why don't you preach harder against sin? And I said, well, you know, I, I really believe when the Bible says people are born again, they're really born again. They really have a new nature. And I don't have to scream at that new nature. I, 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 I can speak to that new nature and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to them. And so that's all part of this idea of of how we're going to relate to each other and the type of culture of mercy we want to have in the church. Second thing was this, we're going to be totally dependent on God. And that means we have to have Holy Spirit power flowing in the church. We have to know, we want the whole church to know how to pray for other people, to invite the Holy Spirit to come on them, to touch them, to heal them, to speak to them, and, 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 to, um, and, and to do it in a way that we referred to in the vineyard as naturally supernatural. You know, like I've seen, and I, this doesn't bother me that much. It did 20 years ago, but I was younger then. A lot of things bothered me that don't today. But I've seen like people put hands on the other, lay, lay one hand on a person and then wave the other hand in the air. Kind of like they're trying to tune into the signal, you know. Oh, okay, there's, there's, there it is right there. Um, and if you do that, I'm not trying to criticize you, but I, I am just saying that a little more natural approach than that is how we do it. And using re natural, regular language. I, I one time, many years ago, I was 
Lori and I were praying for a couple who had just had a baby in the hospital. And they had another pastor friend, came from a different um, you know, Holy Spirit-type culture than us. And at the ev- end of every sentence he prayed, he went, shoo, and said, oh, Lord, bless them, shoo, every time. And, I, and I'm thinking, this is really weird. <laughs> and you know what, though? I thought God didn't mind it as much as I did because when he prayed, the Holy Spirit came. And so I just thought, okay, well, he's from a different culture. If I'm in that culture, maybe I would need to start saying shoe also. But in our culture, so, so what I'm saying is it's, it's, there's not an arrogance about the way we do things. It's just this is the stream God's called us to be, to be naturally supernatural. And if another stream's called that way, well, God bless them. God's using them too. But this whole idea of natural, supernatural um, is, is really important, but Holy Spirit empowered means the worship, the Holy Spirit's presence is real. The gifts of the Spirit are real. The spiritual growth is in the power of the Spirit. But then in our relationship, how we relate to unbelievers, we were going to be outwardly focused. We're, we're going to take this whole thing and we're going to say, the way we can make it about our children The way we can make it about our families is by us being focused on those out there because that's what's going to be the difference for our children. If all we do is focus on, you know, okay, how do we keep our children? Let's build them a gymnasium. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's just because we want to keep them, then we're going to lose most of them because they're smart enough to know that that's not what Jesus is calling us to. But when we, we include them and take them with us and we go and we're outwardly focused, then that draws their hearts right into where God wants them to be. One Christmas, we had an out, a Christmas outreach. I just uh, remembered this yesterday. We had a Christmas outreach. We had well over 100 people here to go out on Christmas morning, and half of them were, well, a third of them were kids, but half of the, half of the people there were adults with brought their children. And rather than stay home and play with their toys, we went downtown together and ministered to street people, the the homeless people. But uh, we wanted to be outwardly focused. And when we built this building, uh, we had a campaign we called the Next Step Campaign, but we made the whole thing about reaching people, about changed lives that we had experienced already and about changed lives that were going to happen. And one guy in the church uh, was, he he worked for... um, a, a big charitable organization, and he did their fundraising. And, um, and it was related to churches, but he said, we always focus everything on this is what it's going to do for your family. And you guys ver- barely focused on that. We, but, but it was because we were flowing with the heart that we believed was the heart of God and the heart God wanted us to have, which was out there, new people coming in. And to keep maintain that focus... In like the 2009 to 11 era, um, very difficult season for us as a church, hard time for me, but uh, I'd have people come up to me and say, well, hey, did you see what so-and-so wrote about you on Facebook? And I just said, no, and I don't want to know. I said, I, if, if I stop what I'm doing and get engaged in that, then we won't be ready for anyone new coming to this place. And I said, there are hundreds of people out there whose hearts are being touched right now by God. And many of them are going to come our direction to find Jesus. And if, if I stop and I make this a fight, then we won't be ready for them. And so we've got to keep our minds focused that way so that we, we keep our hearts focused outside of ourselves because that's the healthiest way to live. And that's one of the things that has to happen for inner healing, for past wounds, is to get my heart focused outside myself on others. But that was our, the third value that uh, God called us to. Another thing God spoke to me on that retreat was, do not create a shiny brochure. I mean, all the books said, create a really good brochure. Tell them about who you are, what you're going to do, and make it high quality, and on, 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 on. God said, don't do that. And uh, you, you want to be authentic, don't ever present yourself as something more than you are. And so we didn't do that. And uh, for me, I thought this, after the Lord spoke to me that way, I thought I'd hate it to have someone come in with a brochure in hand, and they're visiting our church, and they're looking around and saying, wait a second, this is not that. 
you know, because we could produce a much better brochure than we could search church body at that time in, in that respect, okay, for that, that type of approach. And so we didn't do that. And also, um, don't, don't create, I've already said, a grandiose vision. But God gave me this phrase, and it all has to do with the outward focus. We want people to come here because they have a friend whose life was changed here. We want people to come to this church because they have a friend whose life was changed here. And, that, you know, when that happens, you don't have to worry about so much keeping people because they're here for reasons other than, well, we really like the worship or we really like when you wave your hands this way or when you do this or that or the other thing. They're here because they want to be someplace where God's working. And so remember that we want people to come here because they have a friend whose life was changed here. And, um, and, and so that, 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 that all kind of set the tone for the church. But in February, Lori and I went to the mall. This is all 2001. And we wrote down everybody we thought we needed to start a new church. We came up with 39 positions. And then we looked at it and thought, How, where are we ever going to find 39 people? This is just not going to happen, and, uh, or how is it going to happen? And so we, I went away kind of discouraged from that. At that point, we both had applied to drive school bus to support ourselves, but, um, but God had other ideas in all of that. And we had a, started a prayer meeting in late March, April, somewhere in that range with six people, and six people besides me, me and Lori, and um, we, we set this standard with this prayer meeting. That church had honored us by giving us severance pay like they did and blessing us when we left. We thought, well, we're going to honor this church. In fact, again, God gave me a very strong prophetic vision that I, we were not to recruit people from our old church. And so I, I can't think really, maybe one time I slipped up on that, but um, we were very careful not to recruit people from our old church. And so when we started this prayer meeting, we let it be known that people from our old church could not come to the meeting unless they called us first and came and sat down with us. And, and this was the vision I had had, that we would tell people, God's primary will for you is to stay where you are and work out your issues. And the only reason you should or can come with us is if you, your heart is drawing you because of the vision and the values that we're going to start this church with. And so that, that really gave us, I mean, we met with people for months, and I'll tell you, probably a third of them came with us. And, and th that was good, because the last thing you want to do is start a church with people that are coming in defense of you, or because they're mad at somebody else. And so it was just a, a, a real healthy thing that God gave us there. But um, we got two prophetic words, both of them the second prayer meeting. One of them was this. When this church is launched, no one will wonder who its daddy is. Okay, when this church is launched or birthed, birthed, no one will wonder who its daddy is. And so this whole idea of supernatural, it's going to be something people are going to look at me and say, no, nah, you couldn't do that. They're going to look at Lori and say, oh, well, come on, the two of you. There's something else happening here. And, and, and it's God. It's, it's, we're just, we're just kind of like tagging along with what God's doing. And so that was a powerful word that really gave us encouragement. But the second word was this, I will forge my church out of broken people. And this guy said, I've never heard God speak to me before. He said, I didn't even know what the word forge meant. I had to go look it up. But I will forge my church out of broken people. You know, forging, of course, is wedding things together, like two pieces of metal, heat, and they're brought together. Um, but broken people, that refers to a humble heart. And it really comes into the play of the next step. You know, not, none of us are going to be grandiose. None of us are going to be going to pretend to be great. In fact, we had this saying at the beginning of the church, no one comes here withstanding. You, know, you might have been an elder at your previous church. You might have been a pastor at your previous church. But you come here, everybody comes here, picks up a broom, gets at the end of the line, and asks, where can I serve? And so that, that's the idea of just people that are not 
looking for self-advancement or self-fulfillment, but just coming saying, okay, where can I serve? You know, I had a friend that uh, told me, a key mentor in my life, he said, if you have a former pastor come and they come to you and say, well, hey, I was pastor of this church and that church and that church, and what can I do here? He said, ask them to work in the nursery. He says, if they will work in the nursery, then you've really got something. Because you have someone with experience and humility. But the experience without the humility isn't of a whole lot of value. And so there was this, this humility about the whole start. I remember one night watching a couple guys who were both had been executives at uh, P&G emptying the garbage cans after a service. And I just thought, hmm, that's interesting. You know, that's really interesting. The humble heart that just says, Okay, I've got my broom in hand. Where can I serve? But um, we had a plan. Oh, by the end of April, we had 38 people coming to our house for these uh, prayer meetings. And uh, it was just really an incredible season of time. We had a, um, an interest meeting sometime, I think, in May, which where 75 people were there. And we had connected with Tri-County Vineyard, so they were really encouraging us and letting their people know there's a vineyard starting on the northwest side of town. And so a, a bunch of those people were from uh, Tri-County Vineyard. But um, our plan was to meet on Saturday nights throughout the summer and then to go to Sunday mornings in the fall. And that's just my plan, okay, in my head. But we couldn't find any place even to meet on Saturday nights. We were searching and looking and couldn't find, praying. And one day, it was either a Thursday or a Friday afternoon, I was driving down Springdale Road, and I saw a car in the parking lot of a church there called the Springdale Chapel, which is a Mennonite church. Got out, talked to the guy. He was a deacon in the church. He said, let me talk to my pastor. Pastor called me on Monday saying, hey, um, you know, deacon so-and-so told me you'd like to use our church on Saturday nights. He said, well, just come on over tonight and pick up a key. Uh, I mean... Now, that's the way things should happen. <laughs> in most churches, it would be six months of meetings. But, uh, but, but uh, we went by. He gave me the key and said, here, just have as many copies of this made as you want, as you need. And um, he also would not tell us, he would never say, he would never give us what we could pay them. I asked him multiple times, how much do we owe you for this? We should be paying you for this. Well, he's. I'll talk to the deacons, but then he'd never come back to me. And so we met there for close to a year. And at the end of that year, they had a big financial need because they had some things break. And so we were blessed to have enough money to bless them with the money to pay for that, just to say thank you. But, uh, you know, what a blessing that they were willing to do that for us. Now, meanwhile, we had a business where the owner of that business had been saved in the very first vineyard in California, Ken Gullickson's Vineyard, before John Wimber was even part of the vineyard. And uh, this guy gave us, out of his business, $5,000 a month for close to two years. And, uh, you know, the smart people I had around, uh, we, we agreed that we should save that money and not spend it because it was, would be too big of a chunk to create a budget on. And, uh, you know, uncertain because of you know, the person not really attending our church or anything like that. And so uh, we saved that money. And that came into play later. It, well, for one thing, um, it gave us leverage to approach the YMCA. They had a big room in the basement that was all cement, cement ceiling, cement walls, cement floor. It was just a big echo chamber. And we went to them and we said, we will correct the acoustics in this room and change the lighting um, if, and we'll do it as a gift to the YMCA if you will then agree to rent it to us. And after about six months of negotiations, um, we came to the point that they said, well, here's what we want to do. We're going we're gonna to put new air conditioning in. We're going to fix the lights and the ceiling and the acoustics and all that. We will do that. The cost will come to about $40,000, and then we'll sign a contract with you to rent it to you for the next three years, and that rent will pay for it. And so they wouldn't, they wouldn't allow us to actually pay for it, but it, that, having the money gave us the boldness to go in and ask. And so we moved into the YMCA in, um, let's see, 
It was Palm Sunday of 2002. And our very first, first week there, we had 139 people. Now, meeting at the Springdale Chapel, we probably had an average around, eventually averaged around 90 people towards the end. We had a couple of events where we had over 100 people come. But um, that's also where Tyler Brown became our worship leader. Yeah. Tyler, I, I, I had met Tyler earlier, and I just had a sense, Tyler just needs to come for a while. And by the way, one of the operative words in the vineyard is come and hang out. Because the word is, you don't join the vineyard, you just discover that this is who you are. Okay, the, the, the style and the approach. And, but but I, I knew more than that with Tyler. I just felt like he just needs to be valued for who he is. And so I let him just come while the, our worship team, and God bless all of them who were helping and serving. But I told them at one point um, that I didn't really believe God had brought us our worship leader yet. This was even before I met Tyler. And, uh, and, and so there were like probably 10 people on the worship team, and a couple of them could have done it, but I didn't, just didn't feel like it was right. And so they looked at me and said, well, then you're the worship leader. <laughs> and so what I would do is meet with them, and I'd play a song on a CD, and then I'd pass out the music for them, I'd tell them to play it, and then I'd tell them the mistakes they made. And, uh, <laughs> and then it, I, I can't read music, I can't play any instruments, but I can hear music. And I know if that note is supposed to go up this far and you took it up that far, I recognize that. And so, um, so then uh, I, I, towards the end of the summer, I invited Tyler to come to, to one of our worship meter, leader meetings. So after the second meeting, someone on the team that was very, very highly gifted musician said, I think that young guy, I think he knows what he's doing. I think he's our leader. And so it was really cool that it happened that way. But then we, we made Tyler <clears throat> the worship leader by the end of that year. He, well, he started leading worship. But at the same time, um, one friend of mine, a pastor friend, said, Van, he said, I've heard you have Tyler Brown at your church and you aren't using him. And I've also heard that your worship sucks. <laughs> and, and you know, you can have a, great, a, good, a group of great musicians, which we had, but without a leader to kind of like bring the thing together. That's what they were talking about. And so, um, so Tyler stepped into that role and started leading worship. But in the, throughout that summer... Um, he came to the very first service in Springdale Chapel, and, and he would just encourage the worship team and bless them and never complained or never, never advanced himself or anything. So it was just, I mean, he really did come and pick up a broom and get at the end of the line and just say, where can I serve? But um, so then we move into the YMCA in, um, on Palm Sunday of 2002, 139 people. By 2004, we had 300 people. And uh, as I see the clock, I'm not going to get anywhere near through the whole history of the church, but these stories are foundational and stuff you need to hear. Um, one Sunday morning, the place is packed to the gills, and everybody is just worshiping. It's just powerful worship. And I'm just thinking, oh God, what are we going to do? What do we do next? Because you couldn't use the school system unless you had at least 50% of your people from the Northwest School District. And we didn't have that. And so I, I just didn't feel right, you know, trying to do something funny with the numbers. Uh, and so we, I just, just, God, what are we going to do? And I'm worrying while the whole room is worshiping. And God spoke to me these words very clearly. He said, test me. Test me. Not in the sense of jump off the temple and see if I catch you before you hit the street. <laughs> but test me in the Malachi 310 sense. Test me and see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so great you can't contain it. And then that came to me two more times that day. The third time, we were watching NCIS or something like that in the evening. I don't even know if NCIS was, started then, but something like that. And just out of the blue in the middle of this television program, those words in my mind, test me. 
So it was shortly after that, this property came, became available and um, uh, almost lost it to someone else, but um, we ended up purchasing it. And w- there was a, an elderly man, uh, Mr. Mauger, I think he was 94 years old. He lived in a house that was right out here by the street. And uh, John Green had written him a letter some months before saying we would be interested in this property if he ever wants to sell it. Now, this was a 94-year-old man who had been a widow for many years, and have you ever been in a house like that? Okay, stacks of newspapers, you know, little trails because everything, papers everywhere. Somehow, he saved our letter, and when he had a car accident, his son came up from Florida and said, Dad, we got to sell the property. You have to come live with us now. He, he pulled that letter out and gave it to a realtor and said, I want to sell my property to this church. And so, yeah, we, uh, at the very last minute, we increased, we, we offered the full asking price, and then someone else stepped in and made an offer, which we didn't know what it was, and uh, we, John Green and Lori and I sat, and John and I both thought, well, we'll just increase ours by $10,000, and Lori said, no, 20, so we did 20, and uh, still don't think we outbid the other guy, but we just wanted to honor, we wanted to honor the owners and the sellers and let them know we knew they were giving us a good deal. And so we, we were able to buy this and put together a facility team um, uh, immediately after that. Um, I need to back up and tell you this short story, okay? When we were in the YMCA, Tyler and I got a letter from a guy named Bob Hood. Some of you know Bob. Bob's a wonderful guy. But this letter, Bob was an engineer. And this was a three or four page letter. You remember it, Tyler. And about acoustics, and volume, and OSHA, and limits, and deafness, and all this stuff. <laughs> and I remember Tyler and I looked at that letter, we read it, and thought, who the heck, who is this guy? And, but I called him, and I listened to him for an hour on the phone. And, and, and I really listened, and I re- reflected back, you know, just learning about that at this time, and I said, you know what? I said, you've got a lot of good points, but I've just got to tell you, We've thought this through, and we're not turning the music down. And do you know what? He became one of the most loyal people we've ever had at this church. And uh, he started using earplugs. And by the way, that's why we have earplugs back here. (laughs) And by the way, I've had tinnitus real bad for the last 10 years and just got hearing aids. So, Bob, if you're listening in, you made some good points, buddy. But on the one hand, I think it says something about the way we want to lead. We want to hear, we want to listen and, and consider, but we don't want to respond out of the, out of the fear of losing someone. But, but we do have the expectation that people that have something to say are also going to have a good enough heart to do what Bob did and just say, oh, okay, well, I'll figure something else out because God's called me here. And he, he ministered to our teenagers for many, many years and had a profound impact on a lot of lives. But we put together a facility team. We met for many months and um, ended up... Okay, another very quick story. Uh, I hope it's quick. I hope it's quick, okay? Um, one night... We had a, a, a meeting for the facility team, a great meeting. It was not a bad meeting at all. None of the meetings were bad. In fact, they were all good. But I went home, and I had an early morning meeting the next morning, and I was worried about not getting enough sleep, and I literally did not sleep until 5 o'clock in the morning, and I dozed off finally at 5 o'clock. It wasn't one of those deals where I did sleep, and I didn't know it. No, I was wide awake the whole time. And uh, then Lori got up to have her quiet time, which she's an early riser sometimes, and that woke me up. So she's downstairs, and I went to the bathroom, and I walked into the bathroom, and I looked at the wall, and I was just so tired and exhausted and frustrated that I hadn't slept all night. I thought, I feel like punching that wall. And then I thought this to myself. I thought, it's just drywall. I can repair it, and wham. Before I, before I finished that thought in my mind, I drove a punch into the wall, And if I had actually hit between the beams, I have no doubt I would have put a hole in the drywall. But I hit a two by four. I hit a a stud. And I instantly knew I had broken my hand. There was no question about it. 
it, it was just like, no, th- my hand is broken. And I thought, oh, what am I going to do? Everyone will know for sure now I'm a total idiot. Everyone will leave the church. <laughs> this will validate all of their concerns and questions about me. And I thought, I know what. I've had friends that have broken fingers. They never went to the doctor. They just have a crooked finger for the rest of their life. That's what I'll do. So I th- within 30 seconds, my plan was, I'll keep my hand in my pocket all the time, or I will have a cup of coffee in my hand. And that way is, oh, I'd shake your hand, but I'm sorry, I can't. I got this coffee, you know. And God spoke to me that week about not hiding it in three or four profound ways. One was a doctor I went to who, um, who grilled me about what happened and then told me, well, it was, it was a good challenge she offered. And then another pastor, and I just decided I can't hide this. If I hide this, I'm going to have to hide this for the rest of my life. And so I told the church that Sunday morning what, uh, what I had done. Because I, I got a cast, but I got a removable cast. So at the last second, I could decide not to tell the church. But I did, and I was just astounded, first of all, at how many women have punched walls that came up and told me. <laughs> and then how many other people had, but at the grace and the mercy and the kindness and gentleness. I remember Jim Hunter, who was up here leading earlier, he said, well, he said, you, <laughs> he said, you really set the bar high <laughs> when it comes to transparency. <laughs> so I knew we wanted to have a culture of uh, mercy. I, I just didn't know I was going to be the poster child for it. <laughs> And by the way, I did say this. If I show up next week with my foot in a cast because I kicked the dog or something, then I really need help. But this is just a frustrating moment. I did something stupid. But uh, mercy is just such an important part of this whole place. Um, So facility team finished phase one, moved into phase two, which was actually developing the the funds for, for this building. And we needed to raise $500,000. Uh, the only bank that would talk to us was PNC. And that was because we had only been in existence for four years. And you have to have a five-year track record. But they, they were willing to talk to us. So we had a, a, a big event. of first uh, We called it a First Fruits Offering Day. We needed 500000 We probably had 400 people at the most at the time. 300 attendants and probably another 100 that were rotating around the church. And we ended up receiving $780,000 in a one-day offering. Cash, stock, property. Yeah, that's something to cheer about right there. Yeah. And another 500000 committed over the next five years, which enabled us to build this building. And... Um, it was just an amazing thing. I mean, one family gave a family heirloom. Uh, people gave jewelry. They gave property. One family gave property that they owned, and we sold it, and were able to put that in, into the pot and, and part of the whole thing. But the reason they did that, I was sharing about this earlier, was they saw the potential for us to reach people with the gospel. Not for us just to have a nice place to come to and enjoy ourselves, but a place to reach people as a center of outreach with the gospel. And so they were looking ahead. They were forward focused. And, and so looking to the past, like we've, we've done this morning, really needs to result in us looking to the future. And you see all the different things that have happened, all the times that it could have gone one way or another, and, and God just kept nuancing things the right direction. And, and we have so many profound prophetic words about this church that I, I just don't have time to get into right now. Um, I wish I had time to talk about house group and the young adult house group that started in 2013. I wish I had time to talk about the prophetic ministry that's developed here and is having a world, worldwide impact right now. really is. It's, tr- it's true. People from all over the world are, are taking our prophetic class online. And uh, I wish I had time to talk about those things, but uh, re- really just do not at this point. 
But I do want to, I want to end with this. I want to say that when Lori and I started into the gifts of the Spirit, our first big event was in Kansas City in 1994. We got a prophetic word from a guy named Phil Elston. And he said we were, he saw us in a, in a aircraft, on an aircraft carrier in a fighter, an F-14, and, which is a two-person plane, and we were being launched. And then he said, I also saw you land the plane on the ship in this vision he had. And he said, what that means, he said, that's the most dangerous part. But what he said was, that means God has vouchsafed the completion of your mission. And there have been times when that has carried me through. When it's just come down right down to that. Okay, God, you've said, if we don't give up, if we don't do something horrendously stupid, that we're going to complete this mission. And, and I still rest in that today. And as we go through a change later this year, as a change as a church body, uh, the mission continues. I mean, this was a huge part of our mission, but the mission of this church continues. And that promise passes down to our spiritual sons and daughters. And one of our spiritual sons is going to step in and lead this place. And that promise goes to him then. And we're going to continue to see this church body have a forward focus. We're going to continue to see it have an outward focus. We're continuing to see it grow in internally in infrastructure. Luke is so much better at that than I am. And we're going we're gonna to see things develop to a whole new level. And, and I'm excited about that. But with the, uh, with the giving campaign, I've had people come up to me and say, oh, I wish we had been here. I wish I had been here. And my answer to that is twofold. One is this. God had you in mind when we did that, okay? He knew you were coming. And so you're grafted in. You're grafted into that whole history. And the second thing is this. You'll get your chance. You will. Okay? In fact, this spring, and I'm not, I didn't share all of this for this purpose, but this spring we're going to have a giving campaign. And we have some things we need to do to the building that are going to launch us ahead into the next 20 years. And, uh, and so you'll get, to, you'll get to be part of that at that point in time and carry on the heritage of uh, sacrificial giving for the sake of those out there who haven't come yet. So would you stand with me? Prayer teams, would you make your way down to the front, please? Father, we're thankful for your goodness. We are thankful that the way you work in our lives, you give us, you give us tells. You, you, over time, we, we begin to see, oh, this is God. Even without God speaking to me, I know this is God because this is what he does in my life. Thank you for that. Thank you that you do that in church lives. Thank you for everything you've done in this church body, how you brought it into existence, and all the many, many hundreds of people that have come to faith in Christ here, and others that have met the Holy Spirit here and entered into a deeper, more powerful walk with you in a ministry. Father, I pray blessings on this church. We, just, we, we welcome your blessing on this church to continue. And throughout this year and years to come, we thank you, God, for your goodness. I pray every person here will leave with a new appreciation for what it means to be outwardly focused. And when I leave the house, it's not about me. It's about, it's about other people and the cars I'm passing, that I'm, that I'm seeing in the grocery store, or that I'm sitting beside at work. Lord, give us that type of heart, Holy Spirit, because we know it's the heart of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.